You take your Bibles this morning and open them to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. I had the opportunity this past week to be out in California on a, at a conference that myself and Chris Levitt had gone to. I'm not sure what time zone I'm in right now, actually. We flew home yesterday. It was a long trip. Rising at 3 o'clock in the morning or 2.15 in the morning California time and arriving back home at 3 o'clock Eastern Coast time and then arriving on a day when we spring ahead an hour and I'm not sure what day it is. But we're here. The Lord is gracious and uh, had the opportunity to be at a conference which was titled Unashamed. Unashamed. Some of you watched some of the messages on live stream. It was about the reality of being unashamed for the gospel and and in many of the messages that were shared out there, it was the reality that when we do share the gospel, trouble comes. Especially especially in the church, especially in today's day and age, in the life and world in which we live. And so I thought it appropriate for us to spend a little time this morning reflecting upon that reality from the perspective of David, Psalm 27. Psalm 27. I've entitled our message for this morning, Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. I've I've borrowed that from David's words in Psalm 27 and verse 14. Because David ends with the exhortation to each one of us, and especially to his own heart as he is reflecting upon life as he walks through life himself, where he says in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Yes, wait for the Lord. I I believe those are very profound words for our day. Particularly since each and every day in which we live, we seem to be continually and more increasingly bombarded with the events of life around us that are more and more heart-wrenching each and every moment that we watch them and each and every moment we interact with them. And even in our own lives, as life continues on, we find trouble more and more. In every avenue of life, emotional trouble and economic trouble and social difficulties and and community trouble and world trouble around every turn. Each and every person here is ultimately and intimately aware of circumstances in our own lives that can and do cause us and tempt us to be anxious, to be troubled. We're reminded even this week, just sharing the gospel, there's an opportunity that Satan uses even in our own heart to cause us to be anxious and thereby not share the gospel. So the potential trouble that might come, we are even in our morning service on a regular basis, studying through the Gospel of Luke. And we are in that section of Luke's Gospel whereby John the Baptist is beginning his ministry. And John the Baptist finds the reality of 
proclaiming the truth with uncompromising conviction, the reality that it cost him his own life. His head was offered at a party on a platter. There are incidences in our own life where we have nowhere else to turn except to waiting on the Lord, and sometimes in our own heart we can convince ourselves or at least be tempted to believe that God is not around. God is nowhere to be found. David was facing those kinds of things during his own life, and much of David's cries are like our cries. Psalm 27 is one of the better known psalms, maybe not better known to you, but in fact it is one of the better known psalms. And as you read it, it's hard to know whether whether David is standing on his confidence before God with a staunch resoluteness, or if he's dazed by the fog of all that's going on and wondering if God is even involved at all. In verses 1-6, to he proclaims his confidence in who his God is, and yet in verses 7 through the end of verse 13, David expresses this mood in which he is dependent in prayer upon God, crying out to God for help in his time of desperate need. More... The more you meditate upon this psalm, the more you realize that David is not so different than any of us. That David is in fact just like you and us in our relationship with God. It is not unusual to find ourselves in the midst of some kind of profound difficulty in life, some kind of issue or some kind of moment in which we might consider a trial even in our life whereby we are confident in one moment, we're confident that God is who He is. We even say to ourselves, God is sovereign. God is in charge. We say words that I quote often, it is as the Lord would have it. And yet in the next moment, Seemingly, even after you get off your knees in prayer with God, in that very next moment, our anxiousness about the unknown begins to rear its ugly head. We find ourselves trusting God at one moment and then anxiously doubting God in the next. That has happened in my own life. Surely it has happened in your life. Your mood can tend to swing so easily from confidence on one side and anxiousness on the other. And you realize so quickly in that very moment the reality that our humanity is so weak. It is amazing to me in those moments, at least in the Christian life, how anyone can convince themselves that they in some way could find a way to save themselves. And since that's true of us, it's a real comfort to know that David, whom the Scriptures 
proclaim as the people were shouting as David marches into Jerusalem, the slayer of ten thousands, and Saul, the slayer of thousands. Saul gets all anxious about that moment. David, the slayer of ten thousands. It's a real comfort for me to know that he was no different than we are, that he had to learn He had to learn what to rely upon. And I want us then to look at this psalm this morning through really David's interaction with his own heart, three conversations that he has with himself. He he is really talking to himself. we, We have it here in the Psalter in God's Word, God revealing to us the heart of David, this patriarch of Israel, and and yet here is this conversation he is having with himself, ultimately really with the Lord, and yet in his own heart. And, I, and it helps us to, to make sense of these moments in life. It, it helps me to think about, about how I respond in moments like that in my own life. And it ought to help all of us do that as Christians as we think about the life around us. The first conversation David has with himself is this. He reminds himself of the divine privileges that he has. The divine privileges that he has. Verses 1 to 6. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rises against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble He will conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of His tent He will hide me. He will lift me up on the rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices of joy, or with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Right here in verses 1 to 6, we find David talking to himself about the divine privileges. And he talks about the privilege of confidence and the privilege of ultimate protection, or, or really this privilege of communion with God. Not just communion by way of words, but communion in person. Communion by way of proximity in the very tabernacle of God. And I wonder sometimes if we realize that for us as Christians... For us as those who are part of the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the confidence we have to face any difficulty in life is a divine privilege from God. Ever think about that in your life? As a Christian, the the very reality that you can be resolute and confident in the midst of the difficulties of life and things falling apart all around you That confidence is a privilege from God Himself. It is a divine privilege. 
In other words, only those who have a relationship with the very creator of the universe through a relationship with Jesus Christ can have the confidence that David speaks of here in verses 1 through 3. Notice notice the emphasis that he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? The implication in those words is, there is no one in the entire universe, there is no one in the entire created order, there is no one in any kind of place that can be created or developed that should bring fear to me. No one. No one and no thing. No other living person can say with that kind of confidence that in the face of difficulty they have no fear except the Christian. Remember years ago the little cheeky saying in our own society that came out where people started to say no fear as if they were standing there with some kind of human confidence that I don't fear anybody. Well, listen, without a knowledge and an understanding and a relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? There is coming a day when you will, in fact, fear. You will tremble. You will fall on your face before a holy God. Some of you may not know this, but one day several years ago when I was here on a Sunday morning sitting in my office getting ready to pray with some of the men, a man showed up at our church angry, visibly angry at our church because someone had the audacity to go to his house and share the gospel with him. And he wanted none of that to happen, and he came to my office and stood right outside the door of my office and started to rail against us. Visibly angry. We didn't know what he was going to do. He was angry that we had told him about Jesus Christ, and so I just began to tell him about Jesus Christ again. Fortunately, I had a desk between me and him, so I knew I could get out of the way quickly if I needed to, and four other guys would probably tackle him, but he was angry. And he said, listen, I told my daughter when I die, you put my shotguns in my coffin because I'm going into hell with guns a-blazing. I said, sir, that's unfortunate. Those guns will have no help for you. Hell, you may be going if you don't know Jesus Christ, but those guns will be no help to you. He had confidence, all right, but a foolish confidence. Confidence in himself, and yet here David says the Christian can have full confidence. Full confidence. Whom shall we fear? David can and does say that because not because of who David is, not because David is the slayer of thousands of ten thousands, not because David was a warrior, not because David had skill with a sword and could wield the sword like nobody else. That wasn't David's confidence. David had confidence because of who God is. Notice what David says. He says that God is three things. He is three things to him in reality. He is his light. The Lord is my light. Secondly, the Lord is my salvation. And then in verse 1, the Lord is the defense of my life. 
That word defense means strength or or stronghold. Uh, You might see it translated in other places as the refuge. God is my refuge. He's my defense. What does David mean here by those words? Well, the first thing is the reality of this, just on a, on, a, on a Bible study hermeneutics note for you here, the word light here in that first verse is the only place in the entire Old Testament where God is called light. Search the Old Testament in other places, the only it. God is my light. The word is or. O-R-E means light. It's daylight. It's translated daylight or morning light or lights at night. Things that dispel darkness. Something that helps us see clearly. In the New Testament, the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. John also says in his gospel that the light has a name. The light has a name. Its name is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is the light. In fact, John's gospel reads this way. John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, speaking about Jesus Christ, but the darkness has not understood it. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Of course, we understand the light that John was speaking about was Jesus Christ, and it was highlighting the reality of His very nature and His very character, His purity, the sinlessness of who He is, showing the the reality of His opposition by way of His very nature to the impurity or sinfulness of the world. Jesus Christ, being the light, illumined the darkness. He was seen truly for who He is. And I believe that is what David is expressing here in Psalm 27 as he faces the difficulty of life. God is my light. Life would be so unclear if it were not for God who is light, who is truth, who is the illuminating reality of all things true. God gives clarity clarity. all of the unknowns of life, all of the things that we cannot figure out, all of the wildness that we see in our world going on globally today, all of the things that happen in your life and the minutest things to the largest things, all of those unknowns are very scary at times simply because we look at them through the lens whereby God isn't light and yet God is. God is light. God makes it all clear. When David here speaks in his own heart about his own trouble, he's facing the darkness of the threat of war, the threat of enemies around him and camping around him, doing things against his very physical life. And yet he has no fear. Why? 
because God is light. God is not just light as if a disengaged entity somewhere outside. David said, He is my light. He's my light. David says, a lot of people speaking, a lot of things going on, a lot of ways I could look at this, and yet the only way I must look at this, the only way I must see it is through the truth of God. He's the only one that dispels the fog of darkness. That's how it ought to be with us. The Bible tells us fear is not from the Lord. Fear is not from the Lord. Think about that. Think about that. Surely in our own hearts and our own minds over the last several years, let alone in our own life, we have had moments where we have feared. Feared. In those moments, we are relying on our own humanity. We are not relying on the Lord because fear is not of the Lord. Fear is not of the Lord. He is the blazing light of truth. Blazing light of truth dispels fears. Dispels fear. So why can David have confidence? Why can he have that kind of confidence? Because God is light. Because God is light. God is truth. David says that to settle his own heart. But also there's a second truth about God here that David settles his heart with. Not only is God my light, but God is my what? Salvation. Salvation is such a rich term. It's such a, an all-inclusive reality when we think about God. It, it's the word yesha. It means deliverance. Deliverance. Notice, look at it. Look at it. You notice that he doesn't say that the Lord will be my salvation? He doesn't say the Lord is my light and will be my salvation. He doesn't speak in terms of the future reality, although that is true. He speaks of God and the salvation of God in the present reality. The Lord is my salvation. He is my salvation. Having been in California, I was reminded once again of the reality that the earth shakes in times when we do not know it will shake. California is a shaky place in more ways than one. <laughs> when we were out there for my time in seminary, I had to travel up north oftentimes every week leaving my wife and children in the depths of the Los Angeles basin. And inevitably, when I was gone, things would happen. And one night, the earth shook. I wasn't there. She was there. Our kids were there. Our kids slept through it, like most of the time. She woke up, and it was a very frightening moment. And yet, this psalm, Psalm 46, was an encouragement to her. Just listen to verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. There's that word, refuge, deliverance, or, or, or that word that, that, that He is our place where we can hide. God is our refuge and strength 
a very present help in trouble. Not a future help, not a past help. He's a very present help in times of trouble. In other words, in the words of David here in Psalm 27, salvation is a present and continual help in our time of need. David's reminding himself of that. Why? Because the difficulty of life is both present and continual. Now let let your heart just rest on that for a while. Just let your heart rest there. Just settle there. Don't, Don't move past that so quickly. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, He is your salvation right now. Today, in the moment, the very second you're going through whatever it is God's going through and wherever your heart is resting, He is your salvation. Now when you think about that, right now, right now in your seat, as you think about that, don't you get a sense in yourself, in your own, in your own inner person, don't you get a sense of no fear? Why? Why am I anxious? He is my salvation. He is my security. He is my hope. He is my deliverance. He is the one in which I am secure. He is holding me by the, by the very power of His hand. There is nothing more powerful than Him. He is my salvation. I can rest. See, beloved, it's as if David is saying the same words as the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. If God is for me, then what? Who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is with me, it doesn't really matter what's going on around me. It really doesn't matter what is against me. If God is with me, I don't have to fear because He's my deliverance. He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear, David says. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The only answer is nothing. Obviously. Why? Verse 1 continues, the Lord is the defense of my life. The Lord is the defense of my life. That's, that's the hiding place. That's the refuge. That's the word defense. It's, it's, it's the word refuge. The Lord is my hiding place. He's my safe harbor. He, he's, the, the, he's the rock the, in which I hide under. He, he, he's my refuge. David clearly needed a place of refuge. He clearly needed a place to hide from those who had come against him. God certainly, by his graciousness and by his wisdom, had led David through places in a physical earth, on the physical earth and the physical plane whereby he could hide from his enemies, physical strongholds. 
And yet David is reminding himself that while God does provide those, there are times when God may not provide those, and yet that doesn't change the fact that God is my refuge, because in the reality of it all, God has an eternal stronghold for me in the glories of heaven. Notice verse 2 and 3, when evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, guess what happened to them? They stumbled and fell. In other words, God proved that reality right here in my very circumstance. Though a host encamp against me in the future, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of that, I shall be confident. David says, I'm going to be confident, not because I'm some strong guy and I pulled my, my sandal strips up and I put my sword on and I got ready. Yeah, he was ready for battle in that sense, but he always was saying to himself, God is my stronghold. God is my defense. God is my defense. David would not fear because God was his stronghold. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run to it and are safe. We run to the name of the Lord. We are running to the Lord as trouble comes. This is what David is saying. He's my light. He's my salvation. I'm not going to fear. He's my refuge. I'm not going to dread. He is my, my stronghold. He's my strong tower. My safe place is not a place. It is a person. For you and I, Jesus Christ is all of those realities. He is our light. He is our salvation. He is our refuge. He has and He does illumine the darkness with truth. We don't have to be confused at what's going on. We do not have to be confused about the philosophies that are thrown around in our world today and all that's being said and all the nonsense that's going on in schools and in the government and every other place. We don't have to have the confusion that everybody else has. Why? Because the darkness of that nonsense is dispelled because we have the truth. We know Jesus Christ. And we can speak the truth. We can speak it without fear because He is my light. And through Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear anything because we have deliverance not only from our sins, but we have deliverance from whatever God allows to come in our lives, not only here, but also in eternity past and eternity present and eternity future. And so when the pains of life begin to hit and sometimes the waves roll upon us, we have to know to run to Christ. He is our refuge. Sometimes I think to myself, Lord, I don't know if I want to preach this. (laughs) 
because then I have to live it. And I'd rather just have no trouble come, frankly. He's our refuge. So what does David do? David just simply expresses then his one great desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Verses 4 to 6. One thing I have asked from the Lord. I've asked this, therefore I'm going to seek this, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life so that I can come to the house of the Lord and have myself served in every way I feel like I need to be served and get everything I'm looking for. Is that what he says? No. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life in order to behold the beauty of the Lord. In order to meditate in His temple. Because in the day of trouble, he'll conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on the rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And you might put a footnote right at the end of that. In spite of the trouble around me. Isn't it great? It really doesn't matter what happens to me on this earth or what happens to you on this earth. David says, it really doesn't matter to me what happens to me on this earth, whether the enemies are surrounding me, whether I'm having to run around and try to hide in crags of the rock or anything else. God's there. He's with me. And I want one thing. This is the only thing I want. I don't want the army to stop. That's not what I'm asking God for. I don't want all this trouble to end. That's not what I'm asking God for. Surely that's, that's something in my heart that would be great, but, but I don't want any of that. What I want, this one thing, this is the only thing I want, I want to be worshiping in the house of God. God with God's people. That's all I want. Whether I'm on this earth or whether I'm taken to my heavenly home, my one desire is simply to worship God with God's people. I don't know. All that might be taking place in your life today, personally, I don't know all that. I know a few things of some of you. But I do know that when when we're with God's people worshiping, everything else seems to fade away. Everything else is just away. Listen, there is something to be experienced concerning the very nature and character of God when we who are His church gather together to worship Him that God by His sovereign grace and mercy uses in our own life to strengthen us in times of trouble. And it is, and it is a strengthening and it is an encouragement, and it is an uplifting that you cannot experience anywhere else. 
or through any other means. You must be with God's people. This is why they call it an assembly. We are an assembly of people. God designed it that way and we are gifted that way and we are to be used that way and and God orchestrates it in such a way that we we derive from that in our own spiritual lives in such a way that we cannot get it any other place. The late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce said it this way, quote, there is something to be said for the sheer physical singing of the hymns, the sitting in the pews, the actual looking to the pulpit and gazing at the Bible that is being expounded and the very atmosphere of the place set apart for the worship of God that is particularly spiritually beneficial, unquote. I think he is dead right. I believe that's what David is longing for. David desires to be with the people of God, worshiping God, whether he's on earth or whether he's in heaven. It's one thing I ask from the Lord. And that's the one thing that I'm bent on seeking as a priority in my life, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all times. When the people of God are worshiping, I want to be there. I'm there. What a divine privilege. What a divine privilege. David extols the things that he receives. God conceals me in his tabernacle. In his tent, he hides me. He lifts me upon the rock. It is a solid place. He, he, in doing so, my head is lifted up. My enemies want it brought down on the pallet. God lifts it up. And so you know what I'm going to do? David says, I'm going to offer in his tent sacrifices of joy. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing. I'm not going to let my lips be quiet. I'm going to sing praises to the Lord. David reminds himself at the beginning of his divine privilege. Secondly, secondly, he speaks to himself about the problems that he's having, and he does it through dependent prayer upon God. Notice verses 7 to 12. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. For when you said to me, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I shall seek. So do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do... You have been my help. Don't abandon me or forsake me, O God, of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, because false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. You notice the mood change? You notice the mood 
In David's heart, it goes from strong confidence. Uh, the Lord is my light. He's my salvation. He's my defense. And it changes. Now there's a cry for help. Oh my God, help me. I read these words and I can hear my own voice in times of trouble when I read David praying. Trouble comes and so in confidence we go to God in prayer And much like David, we pray, Lord, help me. Lord, hear my prayer. Lord, act out of your graciousness to me. And oftentimes, sadly, when I say act out of your graciousness, what I mean is, Lord, end this thing. Cause all of this trouble to to go away. I want to go back to the easy path that I was on. After all, you said, seek your face. I've done that. I've sought your face, so, so go ahead, Lord, fix all of this. Ease my anxious heart through your fixing of it. And yet often we go from our place of prayer, even with that, we realize days go by. Hours continue to turn into days and days to weeks and weeks, maybe even months. The difficulty's still with us. It hasn't gone away. problem hasn't gone. We're still dealing with it. And so like David, we go back to God. We say, oh, okay, Lord. Okay. Don't be angry with me. Don't let me suffer under this. Right? We, we, we misdiagnose. We misdiagnose how all of this is being used. And we say, You have been my help before, so don't forsake me now. After all, you are God of my salvation. I know, I know, Lord, on the earth I've been forsaken. I know that. My parents have forsaken me, right? David says, my mother and my father, they've forsaken me. I know all that, but you won't forsake me. Will you? Don't hide your face from me, Lord. Don't turn your servant away in anger. For you've been my help. Don't abandon me. Don't forsake me, God of my salvation. I've been abandoned on earth, but but you'll take me up, won't you? We want to be heard. Is God ever too busy to hear us? Is God ever too busy that He can't deal with His children when they come to speak to Him? Uh, The obvious answer, right? You're sitting there going, well, obviously, Pastor, no. He's not too busy. Then why is it that we don't pray? He's never too busy, but sometimes we don't like how He answers. And because we don't like how He answers, and yet we don't want to really be honest about that, we don't go to Him in prayer as often as we ought. Deep down in the sinful dark corners of our hearts, there are places where we doubt the goodness of God. We 
We know, we tell ourselves, oh, God is doing this for His glory and our good. And we say that with words, and yet down in the recesses of the dark places of our heart that nobody can see, God sees and He knows. I'm not so sure you believe that yet. I'm not so sure in the moment in which you're walking through this that I have allowed, that I have sovereignly chosen for you to grow your faith and to trust me, to actually believe that I'm light, salvation, and defense, and that you don't need to fear. You're fearing because you really doubt my goodness. In those times, you know what we need, beloved? We need what David asked for. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. And lead me in a level path. Those are my foes. Uh, David wasn't simply fighting the foes on the outside. He was fighting the foes on the inside. Teach me your way. How many of us truly know how to solve the difficulties of life? I mean, how many of us could really honestly say, yeah, I I, I know how to solve that difficulty? How many of us truly know how to keep ourselves out of the path of sin? I, I mean, in and of ourselves. Well, Hopefully we would say, well, I know how to, the Word of God tells me how to, so we go to the light and we realize the light illumines and we go, okay, I should do that, and yet we don't do that. So in and of ourselves, we don't really know in and of ourselves actually how to keep ourselves from sin. The only one who can keep us from sin is the light of God's Word. Walking in the light. Unless it be for the teaching of God through His divine Word, you and I, like a child, could no more care for ourselves than a child would care for themselves and be in complete danger all the time. Each of us must be taught. And it is God to whom we must turn for our learning. This is why we so staunchly and will... by God's grace, never turn from just opening the Word of God and saying, here's what God says. In this church, we, we don't have any answers. I, I, I don't have any answers. I cannot help you in your life except to tell you what God says. God's the one who has the answers. Each one of us needs to pray as David prayers, prays, Lord, teach me your way. Teach me how to walk and teach me that I must walk according to your ways. Protect me from my enemies of this world. How are you going to do that, Lord? Through understanding your ways. Oh, we have such a great privilege in Christ, do we not? And therefore, we need to pray for His teaching in times of trouble. We don't need to pray that God would take us out of trouble. We need to pray that we would understand God's Word in the trouble. What, what's the prescription then? What is, what is the divine prescription for this? 
Well, David reminds himself thirdly of this divine prescription. Verses 13 and 14. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Therefore, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Literally, verse 13 says, unless my nourishment came from knowing that I will see God's goodness in all of this, I would have no hope. That's literally what it's saying. Unless my nourishment came from knowing that I will see God's goodness in all of this, I would completely lose my confidence. I would have no hope. In other words, without the confidence that I have based upon what I know to be true and right in verses 1 to 3, without that, I would be totally a basket case. That's why the translators in verse 13 put those words there, I would have despaired. They're, they're not there in the original language. They're, they're brought forth from the words of David in verses 1 to 3, this reality of confidence. I, I would have no confidence... I would have no confidence unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Unless I had believed what I have confidence in. It's not just lip service that I'm saying. It's a heartfelt confidence. It's a conviction that God is who He says He is and that He does what He says He does and that I will be safe in His hands, that, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David says, if I didn't have confidence in my God, if I didn't have confidence not only in words but in my heart and now my walk based upon that very belief that He is my light and that He is my salvation, that He is my stronghold, in spite of the fact that I don't have answers for why all this is going on, if I didn't have confidence in my God for who He is, I'd have no hope. But because I'm confident that God is who He said He is, because He is the truth of my life, because He is my salvation, not just today, but every day, because He is my eternal refuge, I can declare, even though I don't have answers to my difficulties, even though I don't have all the answers to every detail about what's going on, I can declare, I will wait for the Lord. David says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Stand with confidence. Take courage. Have that courage in your heart. But it's not a courage that you've conjured up. It's not a courage that you've made. It's a courage that is based upon who God is. And therefore, I will wait on the Lord. You know what holds the martyr to the stake? You know what held Stephen in the hole to continue to preach what he preached in Acts chapter 5? 
you know what allowed Peter and all the apostles, what took John through the exile on the island of Patmos, and what has held the heart for every martyr ever since, and every Christian who has faced death because of some threat to them, this reality. They just waited on the Lord. He waited on the Lord. What held Christ to the cross? He waited on His Father. That's the prescription, beloved. That's the prescription. Wait for the Lord. Grow firm. Be bold. Take courage. Say what must be said. Speak the truth in love. Stand on the truth of the Scriptures, regardless of if you're the only one standing. Remain confident. Stay bold. Be strong. Wait for the Lord. By the way, that verse is a command, not a suggestion. It's a command. If we knew, if you and I knew that some earthly gift would ease our troubles, some earthly way out would ease our troubles, and that it was actually what God would have because we knew the truth, and some earthly thing was going to come, we'd, we'd wait. We, we wouldn't care how long we had to wait. We'd wait for it, knowing it was coming. We'd anticipate it with great anticipation. And yet we know our Lord is greater. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's much better than anything the earth can provide. And what He has in store for us is much more generous than anything the earth could ever give us. And so we can have confidence knowing that He's worth waiting for. So, beloved, I I just wanted to spend time here this morning to say in our times of trouble, we are commanded to wait on Him. That's what we're commanded to do. Just wait. Wait on the Lord. We don't have to solve it. We don't have to solve all the troubles and the problems. We, We just have to stand on the Word of God. Wait. And in fact, as I heard some say recently, it ought to be a privilege. In fact, it is a privilege to wait on the Lord. It's a privilege. So it's my prayer that each of us learn what David has exhorted us here. In our days, the days to come, regardless of what happens, let us be a people known in this place that we're a people who will wait on the Lord. We will wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, these are convicting, challenging, encouraging, hopeful, gracious, merciful words from You. Maybe we came here this morning with all kinds of anxiety upon our own life and our own heart thinking that you are, that things are happening that we don't know and it's crazy and it seems out of control. 
Man, if we share the gospel with someone, we talk about Jesus Christ, man, that's going to bring pain in my life, and there's already so much pain already. Economically, it seems like I'm suffering, and things aren't going the way it seems like it should. Hopefully, Lord, these words of yours have been an encouragement to us, a challenge to us, a, a strong rock on which we stand knowing your very nature and character is to care for those who are your own. We must not just let that be words. We must believe them and walk by them and thereby wait upon you. Thank you for your servant David who has gone before us. Thank you for each one who has faithfully stood unashamed. May we do the same. All for your glory. All because we just want to spend a day in your house worshiping you. For all eternity, we praise you and we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.